Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that weaves around it. Weaves. That's a good word. Yeah. I like that word. The picture was there in my head. When I did my introduction at work the other week and came out to everybody who wasn't aware, I didn't get too many comments afterwards. And I wasn't sure if, you know, I mean, we have a lot of this Zoom silence because we're a bunch of therapists and we don't want to talk over each other. (laughs) We're listeners. Right. Right. So... And so there's not always a lot of comments. And uh, I was a little surprised, though, that, you know, complete, like, seemed like almost a complete lack of any comment outside of supervisors who always have to say something. Yes. Which the something they say is sometimes a real something and sometimes just a... That's I'm, their job to say something. Yes. That type <laughs> of something. But the, co- the co-worker that sits next to me, theoretically, has the same cubicle space as I do. That you each go into at separate times now because nobody goes in at the same time because everybody's yeah all staggered and spaced out. Yeah. So we have a new system for crisis on call and, and every other week we're, we're usually on call all day, primary. Now we need a secondary. Okay. And so the person who's not on primary that week is now the secondary and then you could just keep the same day, which is for me, Thursday. And so my... Cubby mate has the other Thursday and then is a secondary on the days I'm primary. Right. And this being the first week that we had this big to do about needing secondaries and ironing out and so forth, she sent me a, a Teams message on that day to say, Hey, George, I'm, I'm back up for crisis tomorrow. Please let me know if there's anything that comes up that I can help you with. Also, sorry, I meant to message you way earlier. She does have an infant. So she's one of the newest, second newest maternity leave people right now in my group. Right. Uh, she says, I, sorry, I meant to message you way earlier, but thanks for sharing about yourself a bit ago in our unit meeting. You are an amazing person. Glad to have you as a cubby mate. And I, I said uh, back to her, I said, thanks. I appreciate you saying so. There were not many comments and I hoped I hadn't shut anyone down on saying anything when I talked about folks at the agency being fairly quiet about all of it, meaning that they were, I had talked in my intro about people were fairly quiet about it in a professional way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and then I went into, you know, for tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And uh, she said, yeah, of course, I think it helps bring our team to a deeper level. Thanks for sharing. Much respect. Much respect. Yes. And that that sounds to me like two steps away from you're so brave, but they're steps in the right direction. So that's good. <laughs> yes, I, I can see what you're saying about that. Because yeah, that would annoy me. You're so brave. But much respect d- didn't bother me. Um, I did think, well, okay, that's okay. You know, yeah, that's not wrong. Okay. So it didn't strike me as perfect, but it didn't strike me as you're so brave would have. Right. I I sort of took it as a good for you. And I appreciate that you were willing to come out to our group and, you know, right. Say who you are so that the rest of us would feel comfortable doing that too. Right. You know, whatever their stories are. Yeah. And I mean, there is some element of, you know, that we, it, it is good to affirm if a colleague does come out or if something you know, is shared that could be potentially vulnerable, it is good to affirm that you have respect for your colleague saying something or that you appreciate that 
disclosure. Yeah, I think that that, you know, in saying that, it reminds me that it is important because for the other people who have said nothing, I wonder, you know, I don't wonder as much as I would as the people I wouldn't have come out to. Right. But it does make me wonder, like, so... What what were the, what were their thoughts about that? Right, you know? and because we don't have a very good, I blame it mostly on that we do not have a very good system in our meetings of uh, getting everybody to participate and say something at some point. Right, that a lot of people stand back because I mean, for me, I especially stand back. That would have been my preference anyway. But as a white guy, I don't want to step on all the other people's toes. Thank you for having that awareness. Yes. But it also means that, you know, anybody else standing back is not, you know, having that chance to participate. And I think the interaction is important. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And it's also interesting that we don't know what your colleagues who didn't speak up are thinking about any of it. Because we do kind of live in a small town. And you never quite know what someone's politics are around here. Like the outright racists and outright bigots know to keep their mouths shut. But there are a whole lot of people who don't realize that they're bigoted. Yeah, that's true. As, as you've noticed, as you've been experiencing, what did they call it? The training you're having? Oh, diversity and equity, equity. or something like that. Equity training. Yeah, yes, that's me. that's the new buzzword in education is equity, that it's not just making sure that we have a diverse population of people with giving input, but that they're all treated equally, or given opportunities to remediate barriers to access or opportunity. Or in maybe the case of your training, talk about all of them equally because they're not there with you. Well, there is that. Yeah. My office is really freaking white. And all of our equity training is all about race right now because we live in a small town and that's the one we're willing to look at. Well, I, I think that they should look at it because as, you, as you've noticed with your colleagues, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's a different types of racism going on. There's a lot of people who don't realize that they're racist in my office. Yes. And that's something that happens a lot. Yes. And like you said, the so the ones who, who know that they're racist don't say anything. And the ones who don't know they're racist say a lot. They say a lot. And they, yeah, especially in these trainings when they're asked to give feedback on what they just heard and they're pushing back on some diversity initiative or some historical fact. And they're like, that's not really how it happened, is it? I can't believe that actually happened to that group of people or, but that was so long ago. How is that, you know, like people who can't understand the effect of historical inequity on current opportunity? Right. Well, I think in some cases their disbelief is similar to people's problem with climate change. I mean, there's some things that people just don't want to believe. Mm -hmm. And then some of it is their own experience in the world. They have nothing to relate it to. They have no way of understanding it. And there's very, there's very many people that only learn by direct experiences. Many news stories have shown, here's another COVID disbeliever that now has COVID and believes in it. And um, so you, you get a lot of that unless they have some kind of direct experience 
which they have no ability to do in a very white middle of nowhere place where, you know. And this is something that number three child and I were talking about last night as, as we were coming home, I picked them up from their dad's house. And they asked, you know, what on earth is up with people who support like Blue Lives Matter or, you know, who are still supporting a racist in chief? And, you know, a 13 year old idealist is being a 13 year old idealist. <laughs> Good job being your age. <laughs> right? Yes. So I, I explained, you know, that when someone is emotionally invested in their choice, it's very hard to logic them away from it, no matter how many facts you provide, it's still going to be the emotional investment that's going to sway their choice most heavily. And I gave the example of when they got into this game that has become popular. And there's a whole other tangent to be had about how we started the pandemic playing Animal Crossing, where let's all go together. And now we're playing, what's it called? Among Us, I think. I haven't played this one. That they're like, kick the person off the spaceship. Okay, That's how we've changed our minds in the pandemic is instead of going, let's all go together, they're saying vote everybody off the island now. Right. But when they first downloaded the game, they were staying up until like 12 and one o'clock at night and having a hard time to function in the morning. And I talked about how you're emotionally invested in participating with your friends. And no matter the fact that you know, you're going to have a hard time in the morning, and you know, there are going to be negative consequences that you are going to have to mediate. Mm -hmm. you're emotionally invested and you're going to make the emotional choice. Mm -hmm. And they said, Oh, I'm getting better about it. And I, and I'm like, yeah, I know you're, you're learning your lesson. And that's why I let you continue learning instead of instituting consequences. But mm -hmm. you're emotionally invested in a choice. You're not going to make the logical choice. You're going to make the choice that suits your emotions. Mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of people are right now. They're so emotionally invested in this choice that they they will have a hard time acknowledging that they were wrong. Mm -hmm. it, it makes me wonder, and I have from time to time, so why are you and I different than those people that we're dealing with, you know, as we're just talking about? Why are you and I not racist? Well, we hope we're not. We're, if I mean, we, we, are, we are in our ignorance part. But oh, I mean, yes. Not blatantly racist, like, yes. like the racist in chief. Right. And his friends. And, you know, I don't want to be self-congratulatory, but I'm, I'm less racist than a lot of my colleagues. Mm -hmm. And I do actively attempt to be anti-racist, as you do as well. And I've even suffered consequences at work for being actively anti-racist, not at my current job, but at my previous job. Yes, you have. <laughs> and so why do we have this? I won't say that we're not racist because we don't know what we don't know about ourselves. We yeah, don't know. Yeah. But, you know, why do we attempt to be anti-racist? Yes. I guess would be a good way of framing that mm. question. Why does racism not make sense to us? And why do we work for it to go away? And I think, you know, part of it is the thing that studies have shown over and over that the more diverse interactions you have, and the greater the population density that you interact with, which will lead to greater population diversity that you interact with, mm -hmm. the less likely you are to hold bigoted viewpoints. 
There are numerous studies on this, that population density has an inverse correlation to bigotry. I, I can see that happening over time. Although I know when I was a kid, my oldest sister, my half-sister uh, that came from Grand Rapids at that time to Chicago, hung out with a lot of white people at her high school, and they were a whole bunch of bigots calling Puerto Ricans pork chops and all kinds of, you know, oh, for goodness derogatory sake. nonsense. And right. um, I was really shocked by that, you know, mm-hmm. probably at the, like 12 years old or whatever I was. But you had had an environment prior to that where that was shocking to you, that you already had a worldview, you already had a mindset that presented people as inherently equal regardless of their ethnicity or national origin. Right. Despite that when I was a very young child in Chicago, it was still very segregated there, you know? It was. Not that it's not now, because the North Side and the South Side are very different. Mm-hmm. But um, I know my, my mother had a few incidents because she would go to a psychiatrist on the South Side and she had to take a bus. and. Mm-hmm. And there were um, some incidents of violence mm-hmm. to do with racial tensions. Right. And that that was a, a very big deal then. So I don't know much about where my mother stood on that as much as my dad. You know, I saw my dad. My dad Your was, dad was a jazz musician. He was. He was probably not hanging out with all white guys, right? There you go. Yeah. But but he also was this very social guy, kind of like our, our number two child. And he liked people and he liked all their foods. And so he wanted to make all the friends from all the places and eat all the foods with them and have a good time. <laughs> That's so if, funny. If anybody in our apartment building was having a party, he was invited and he was going to go have a good time and eat, you know, whatever kind of food they had. And drink whatever they had as well. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and he really would eat anything, and but he just enjoyed that. He enjoyed the, the culture and interactions and the food. Mm-hmm. And um, so his enjoyment probably overrode any tensions that or uh, things he inherited from his family, who had a lot of, my understanding is his family, like his grandparents and so forth, had properties in Southside poor neighborhoods right? where um, Italians do have their own derogatory name for black people. Yes. And, um, and that he didn't carry that with him was interesting to me, you know, that he moved away from that. I mean, that could have been him living in the city, whereas they came from the old country. Right. You know, they got there and, and his parents adjusted a little more and he adjusted a lot more. So they're, you know, absolutely. Both of them lived in a big city. Yeah. All that time interacting with other people and not finding it strange at all. Yeah, and not only that, but the time that you were a young child mm-hmm. was also during the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. We're aging you a little bit here, but you know, you came up before, you know, you came up during the civil rights movement, and you were alive during the assassination of Martin Luther King. And during that time, society was a little bit more polarized on the issue because there were clear sides. Mm-hmm. When I grew up in, you know, the early 80s, it was there were no clear sides. There wasn't an ongoing struggle at that time that was nationally and publicly recognized. Mm-hmm. It was it was very low key. It was very subsurface, mm-hmm. and so 
when you were growing up, it was very clearly, you know, everybody was picking a side and you, there were very clear ideas of what each side stood for. Mm -hmm. And so if your father was on the side of civil rights, then, you know, that was just sort of at the time, you know, just like today, if you're on one side, you have a whole set of beliefs. And if you're on the other side, you have a whole set of beliefs that your community all agrees on and all invests in. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and even though you didn't grow up in as big of an area, you didn't grow up in a white area. You grew up in an area of people of color. And, um, you know, until I came out West, I mean, this is the whitest place I've ever lived. And so this is crazy. Weird to me. This is totally crazy how white it is around here. But yes, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and mm. I grew up in an area. My father lived in an area that was mixed white and Latina or Latinx. And then my mom lived near MLK. So yeah, like I grew up seeing my friends. And even though there wasn't an ongoing nationwide blatant public struggle for civil rights, I could clearly see, you know, if I was walking down the street with one group of friends or another group of friends who was going to have cop cars slowing down to check us out. Mm -hmm. And I could see when we went to the mall because it was the 80s and you did that. Mm hmm who was going to have security following them and who wasn't. Right. You know? Right. We could see these things and it was it was very subsurface. It was very low key, but it was still clearly there. And so those experiences and growing up around mostly people of color did make me realize that, you know, this is something that we still need to work on and made me very aware of of my place in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, those experiences are very different. And I think, well, you know, in, in the South where my aunt lived for a while and my, my grandmother's second husband was from there, there were other people of color around, but there was pretty much white people and black people and it was very segregated. So there's not that ty- same type of interaction you have in a city. You're just going to have that more and, but Yeah. And Chicago yeah. tensions have, have been bubbling for all this time. They never stopped. No, they never did. So. And I watched that with with our kids, because I wondered how it would be for number two child. And he seems to see no color, which I'm glad for. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't, because he he picks up things from his friends. And he was talking about the Mexicans at the park and how they all smoke weed. Right. And how they're all in gangs. Yeah, he does pick them up, even though some of his friends are Mexicans. So I don't, I can't really explain that child. Yeah. He, no. Well, none of us can. The doctors can't explain that child. Well, I suppose they can. And the thing is, it's just never going to be something that lines up to make sense. But this is that's a whole nother topic about children. <laughs> it is. And, but number yeah. three, on the other hand, is is very invested in social justice and in uh, eliminating bigotry. Mm-hmm. and makes memes with all of their favorite anime characters holding signs that say Black Lives Matter. And, That's you know, great. I mean, as much as they're able, you know, wants to participate and wants to go with me to pass out water at the marches and things like that, right. wouldn't go into town. And yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're getting it. I don't know what they're getting from what angles, but I know that number three, especially being a member of the LGBTQ community, is also in the lefty social justice camp. And so is going to have that whole list of beliefs again. Well, and it does tend to make you, I think, it tends to make you realize what part of society you're in when you're in the LGBTQ camp. Because I remember thinking that as a child and just with toys and looking at Barbie and going, what? Right. You know, and not being able to relate to any of those 
figures or toys or, you know, the Ken doll was, you know, sparse and the Barbie was weird. And I didn't relate to those cisgender projections that were put into the toys. And right. So I, I found myself on the question side of things anyway. When you recognize yourself as being different from the dominant demographic, it does tend to make you more sympathetic to other members of non-dominant demographics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Science. The, the, my favorite science quote lately was, actually, you know, one of those Twitter things mm-hmm. of uh, quit asking people if they believe in qu- climate change. It's not Santa Claus. It's science. Well, Ask them if they understand it. Well, and that's the thing. It's sort of like asking 45 if he's going to stand down if he's beaten the election. You don't ask a child if they're going to bed. You put them to bed. Yes. You don't ask someone who is not living in reality if they're going to participate in reality now. No. You just enforce reality. Yeah. And some people have started to understand that and Sometimes we're just still baffled. We're like, wait a second, why is this happening? Oh, yeah, craziness. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, anyhow, those were the thoughts that we've had lately. Well, go vote. Yep, go vote, especially you young people. And vote for Biden because it's not a marriage, it's a bus ride. Get the one that's going closest to where you want to be. Third parties are not going to get anywhere in the presidential race. No, third parties will take you to the other bus that maybe you didn't want. When when it comes to actual platforms, I think I align most closely to the Green Party. Mm-hmm. But their presidential candidate is not viable. So in this case, I'm going to vote for Biden. Right. Yeah, this is not especially not a year for a statement about that. Right. Trying to make a statement by your, your vote for a third party. But hey, that's our opinion. So Well, go vote. Yes, I will. You too. Yes, sir. Okay. I was telling our our friends here in in their headphones. Yes, I know. Okay. (laughs) So is that it for now? I think that's it. We'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less than complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening. And all the life that weaves around it. Like bits and bobs of everything. Yeah. Like politics. Are we only going to talk about politics? Because we talked about other things last night first. We did. Uh Uh-huh. And those are not bits and bobs. Those are just politics. <laughs> if we go right to that. No. can always take the bits and bobs part out. So when you introduced yourself to your group the other week. This is a bit and bob. This, I was trying to come up with another word for that Sorry. because I don't like that bits and bobs. Okay. It's bullshit. <laughs> okay, well. It's okay. <laughs> so how do you want to introduce that then? Well... Do I need to introduce it? Can you just I don't know. You start telling the story? <laughs> I should say something. Uh, 
doofy dog. I need to check this. <clears throat> make sure it's not uh-huh. our guy. You're not supposed to be here till 10, but... I think that's... Oh, it's... All right. Um, what do you can, do? can you text her and say, I'll be down in 10 minutes? Were we yeah. expecting her this morning? Well, she was going to text first, I thought. Hey, I can be down in a couple minutes. We're just finishing a recording. You can come in, it's open. Yeah, she was gonna text first, so okay. I didn't know she was gonna be here. So. <laughs> <laughs>